0: So, just so you guys know, this will be um, our last week in the book of Romans for a little bit. Um, We're going to be taking a break, hopping into a new series after this. Um, But yeah, but for now, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to flip to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 is where we're going to be tonight. All right, you guys good? You guys awake? No, not awake? You guys alive? Some of you are like, no, I'm not making it through. That's all right. Hey, guys. So uh, if you've been with us over the past several months, We have been going through the book of Romans. And we've been looking at, uh, really, we've been looking at an in-depth explanation of the gospel. And and if you've been in church for a little bit, you've probably heard that statement, right? The gospel. What is the gospel? And really, we've been covering over the past several months what it is that what we that we mean when we say the gospel, right? That not just, okay, okay, yes, Jesus died for our sins, but what does it mean that Jesus died for our sins? What does it mean that we are born sinners? What does it mean that we Rebel against God. What does it mean that Jesus died for our sins? What does it mean that uh, we're now forgiven of our sins? What does it mean that we're now dead to sin? And and last week we saw this idea that because of Jesus's death in our place, that because we identify with Christ's crucifixion, that because of that, that we are no longer enslaved to our sin. Right. That now now we are free from the bondage of sin. And what we found, but what we remember is this idea: because Jesus has declared us righteous. Right. That because We've been saved, and God sees us as spotless and blameless. That's not an excuse for us to just continue living in sin, right? We don't just continue sinning because of the fact that we've been forgiven. No, it's what we actually need to understand is because we've been forgiven and because we've been freed from sin, for us to continue living in sin is to settle for brokenness, right? It's to settle for less than what God has desired for us. It is to say that here is the abundant and joyful life that God offers me and say, no, I'd rather just stay down here in my brokenness. Right? And how that would be ridiculous. we don't want to do that. So what we talked about last week was this idea that we are dead to sin. We're no longer in bondage to our sin. Ultimately, when we give into sin, we're settling for brokenness that God has freed us from. And one of the beauties of being saved is the fact that I'm able to recover and pursue God's design for my life rather than being chained to the brokenness of my sin. So now that we've kind of established that, one thing I think is important for us to understand is that I think that we're all prone to fall into the same mistake. I think we're all prone to fall into the same mistake. And here's what I mean by that is that I think a lot of us, there's these people in our lives that you, that you would look up to. Does anybody have someone in their life that you look up to? Right? Hopefully. So hopefully you have somebody. Right? I know for me, like all my life it was my dad I would look I looked up to my dad and and I look up and and now it's funny, like as I get older, I look up to different people for different reasons, you know um what like uh, like, I look up to Pastor Ethan uh, because I love how he's able to be uh, an amazing pastor, but at the same time, how he prioritizes his family, his wife and kids. And, and like, man, like, I'm trying to, to learn how to do that now that I'm a dad and, and something like that. So I look up to him for that, and, and I look up to a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. But what I found is a lot of times what we do, which is not bad, but we have people who we admire their walk with Christ, we look at them and we see that man they really seems like they're pursuing Jesus and it really seems like they're man that they, they have this joy in God and, and man they have peace and man when they read the Bible they enjoy it and, and man there's just something special and it's like we look up to them and we're like man I want to man I want to be like that I want my walk with Christ to be like that and here's the thing it's not bad you should have people like that. Paul says, and Paul says in one of his letters, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Like, it's okay, it's good to have people where we admire their walk with Christ. But then we see that, and we also see how they're obedient, how it seems that like they obey the things, of the commands of Scripture, how, man, it seems like whenever, like, Scripture says to not do something, they don't do it. And when Scripture says that they should do something, they do it, and they're obedient. And what, Here's the mistake we make, that the reason they have joy is And contentment and peace is because they obey. That's the mistake that we make. Now, I want to be very clear. When we sin, are you guys like sitting on one chair? All right, grab another chair because you may be able to pay attention, but I can't. All right. There we go. We can do this. Good job, guys. All right. All right. All right. All right, now we're gonna dial back in. Ready? Good job. Here's the, here's what I want you to understand. When we sin, it does make it does rob us of our joy. I want you to understand that. That if you think you could just continue in sin and still have a joyful life, you are mistaken. And obeying God does bring does bring joy. But what I'm talking about is the source of our joy being. The fact that we are obedient. We see someone who is seemingly just close to Jesus, and we're thinking the reason that they are close to Jesus is because they obey, because they go to church, because they do the things that they're supposed to do. And the problem is this. The problem is that when we find our obedience, when we see that our obedience is the root that leads to our joy, then we have a mistake. We make a mistake. Because ultimately what happens is that our joy is not in Jesus. Our joy is in our performance. You with me? Because here's the thing. We are called to have a joy that is unshakable, right? A joy that is constant. A joy that doesn't fluctuate. That is a joy that's constant. But here's the thing. If my joy is found in my performance, it's going to be up and down every day, isn't it? So we're going to be in Romans 7. Here's one thing I also want you to understand. I think when we talk about f- turning from sin and being obedient to Jesus, the reason people struggle to be obedient is because they see obedience as the end. Or, sorry, they see obedience as a means to an end rather than the end. Does this make sense? All right, Romans chapter 7. And the, well, everything I'm saying is going to make sense. Just roll with me. Romans chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 4. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which has held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, what I want us to focus in on here, what I want us to focus in on is verse 6, where it says we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not, w- and not in the old way of the written code. few things that are important for us to draw out here in, this, in that verse. One is that it says we serve. We serve. See, a lot of us make the mistake, right? A common mistake that people make is when they get into this passage or when they think about Christianity in general, say, okay, I'm no longer under the law, I'm under the grace, and because of that, I'm free of all that is commanded in the Bible. And that is wrong. Because I am forgiven of my sins, I no longer have to obey the commands of Scripture. I no longer have to worry about those things. And I want you to know that that is not true. That we are still called to be obedient. We still serve. We still strive. See, the, the life of a Christian, the Christian life, is not one of laziness. It's not one of cheap grace that we just use it as an excuse for us to continue doing whatever we want. If that's your view of Christianity, that's not Christianity. The life of a Christian is one that is devoted, that is disciplined, is one that we serve God. We seek to, uh, to be obedient. We seek to live righteous lives in order to glorify God. Verse 4, if you see in verse 4, it says this. It says that we have been raised from the dead in order that we may what? Bear fruit for God. That the reason that we have been raised from the dead, the reason that God has taken us in our brokenness and in our sin and has raised us to new life is for one purpose, to bear fruit. So the reason that we have been saved, the reason that we have been redeemed is so that we can be obedient in order to give honor and glory to God. I want you to know something. Your life, the reason that you have breath in your lungs is for one reason, and that is to give glory to God. That's it. The reason I exist is to glorify God. The reason that everything in this world exists is to glorify God. uh, Psalms 23. It's a very popular psalm. If you're ever looking for something to memorize, Psalm 23 is a good one to memorize. But at the beginning of Psalm, it's a very ch- popular chapter, but I want you to hear this. It says, a Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You guys ever heard this before? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Now, we'll just stop right there. Man, God has done all of this for David, right? Right? that he's my shepherd, that I, 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 he doesn't leave me wanting, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he guides me beside still waters, he restores my soul, he leads me in paths of righteousness. But here's the thing, why does he do it? For his name's sake. That's why. Everything we do as Christians is so that we can glorify God, not so that we can be approved by him, Not so that we can escape hell. No, God is the one who approves us. God is the one who declares us righteous. Now we are obedient because that is the mission of our life. Now, here's what I'm trying to say is a lot of us mix it up. A lot of us say, I need to be obedient so that I can be close. We see these other people who are close. We're like, all right, I need to get my life together so that I can experience that closeness. And I want you to understand is that if that's the way you view it, you're going to constantly be frustrated, constantly be discouraged. We are called to serve. But the second thing we see is we're called to serve in the new way of the Spirit in verse 6. See, so while we still follow the commands of Scripture, we still obey the commands of God that reflect His morality, reflect His character. There is something new about the way that we obey. That we don't obey like they did in the Old Testament. We don't obey like they did under the Old Covenant. We obey in a new way. We obey, and it has to do with the Spirit that He has caused to live within us. See, the new way of the Spirit. And this third part is, and not in the old way of the written code. Right? So I'm to serve God in a way that may look similar to how they used to obey God, but it is different. It's different. There's something about it that's different. And what is different? It's this. It's that obedience is the fruit of a relationship with God. It is not the root of a relationship with God. Does this make sense? That obedience is the fruit. So if you have a tree and there's fruit on this tree... That healthy fruit is coming because of the root. And here's what happens is a lot of times we think that, all right, I need to have joy and peace and contentment and closeness with God. And that's going to come when I'm obedient. And I want you to know that is false. That's false. See, over the years, I have had countless students come to me with the same problem. See, I, I have this fall, I will have been serving on staff with the student ministry here at Central for 10 years. In a few weeks, I'll get the chance to be able to uh, officiate a wedding of a student that I was here. They were here when they were in middle school, went through middle school all the way through high school, graduated high school. Now they're getting married. I get to officiate their wedding, and it's super exciting. And over that time, I have had dozens and dozens of dozens of students that have asked me the same question. Now, it's different a little bit, but it's ultimately the same thing, and it's this. I have this particular sin in my life that I'm trying to overcome. There's this particular sin that I'm struggling with. There's a particular sin that I'm struggling with, and they want to know, how do I overcome it? Maybe you're in this room, and you can relate to that. I would assume... Most of you in this room can relate to that, that there is a sin in your life. You know what it is. Maybe it's continually lying when you know you shouldn't. Maybe it's constantly seeking the approval of other people. Maybe it's lusting when you know you shouldn't lust. Maybe it's coveting over things that aren't yours. We can go down the line. There's this sin that no matter how badly you seek to overcome it, you constantly fall back into it and fall back into it and fall back into it. I've had a lot of students that have known of there's like particular sins that they know that I struggled with at one time in my life. And they come to me and they're like, hey, how did you overcome it? And here's what most of them want. And here's what most of you probably want is you want me to give you, all right, here's your three-step principles that you can implement in your life starting now that will help you overcome this sin. And you know what? There are some things that are good things. There are some practical steps that you could take to help you fight sin. But I want you to understand something. Your struggle with sin is not because of your circumstances. It's because of your nature. James chapter 1, starting in verse 13, James says this. says, when, it, when someone is tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God does not tempt, nor is God tempted by anything. But each person is tempted when he is dragged away by his own evil desire and he is enticed. And when desire gives birth to sin, sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Do you hear what I'm trying to tell you? Is that the problem is not the circumstances. The problem is your flesh, my flesh, my desires. See, what we constantly are trying to do when we struggle with sin is we constantly try to change the circumstances. Which, again, aren't necessarily bad things, right? Right? You know, I'll put blockers on my phone, or or I'll get rid of social media, or I'll do this or do that. And you know what? Hey, that's good. But if it's not accompanied with something to address the real problem, you're not doing anything. Because you can't control your circumstances all the time, can you? No, you can't. Or what happens is you control the circumstances, but the problem's still there. So what do we do? How do we overcome sin? Well, a lot of us are still trying to do it in the old way of the written code, verse 6. So a lot of us are still trying to do it like they did in the Old Testament. A lot of, here's, and here's what I mean, is that we try to white-knuckle our way through it. We try to say, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try this, and I'm going to just work on it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it together. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. And here's the thing. That may work for a little bit. But ultimately, it will never last. Because the problem is deeper than that. Right? In the Old Testament, that's what the people did, right? The people had the law of God written down for them. How did they get the law of God? Does anyone know? How did they get the law of God? Moses, perfect, right? God gave the law to Moses, Moses gave it to the people. They had it written on tablets, they had it written on scrolls, they had the laws of God. The problem was not knowledge. I want you guys to understand that. And for a lot of you, the problem is not knowledge. How many of you have done at least one year of Awana? Almost the entire room. Now, how many of you, let's be honest, and I'll raise my hand. Struggle with sin on a daily basis. Notice, the problem's not knowledge. Right? Awana is good. Learning scripture is good. But if you think knowledge is going to save you, you're mistaken. If you think knowledge is going to help you overcome sin, you're mistaken. See, the people had knowledge. They had that but they, tried, and it was, they thought that through their efforts, they could be obedient, and through their obedience, they can then be close to God. Right? They tried to white-knuckle their way to obedience, and all that did was lead them into more brokenness. You see, a sinful people with a sinful nature, white-knuckle obedience or, 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 or trying our, our best to be obedient doesn't work. Please understand that if you're trying to attain closeness in your walk with God by being obedient, it will only leave you frustrated. See, every person in this room, if you're a Christian, I believe, wants to be closer to God than you currently are. I know I do. I know I want to be closer to God than I currently am. But you want to know something? That you're not going to get closer to God By your performance. You're not going to get closer to God by your performance. It's only going to leave you frustrated and discouraged. Because the old way of the written code that we see in verse 6 was never meant to lead you to life. You see, if you're trying to overcome your sin by your efforts, if you're seeking to become obedient so that you can experience closeness with Jesus, you're living your life according to the old way of the written code. Maybe your sins are forgiven, but that's it. Maybe your sins are forgiven, but you aren't really experiencing the fullness of a relationship with Jesus. Here's, what you, here's another thing, as a side note. If your only view of salvation is that your sins are forgiven, and that's the extent of your knowledge of salvation, in comparison to the fullness of salvation, it's very shallow. I'm not saying that it's bad. Forgiveness of sins is amazing. If you wake up and you have no other reason to smile, knowing that your sins are forgiven is enough to make you smile for eternity. But I want you to know that we don't have to wait until eternity to be able to experience the benefits of a walk with Christ. There's so much more. You see, if the end goal is for us to glorify God through our obedience, Here's the question, how do I I become obedient? I want you to read, uh, I just want you to hear a couple things. Uh, In the Old Testament, right, Jeremiah and and Ezekiel, God is going to promise something called a new covenant. He's going to promise a new covenant, a new way of doing things. As we see in Romans uh, chapter 7, verse 6, the new way of the Spirit. It's explained here, Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 33. It says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. See, how did the people of God have the law beforehand? Where was it written? On stone and on tablets and on scrolls. What does God promise he's going to do now? Where is he going to write his law? On our hearts, in our mind. No longer is it now something that is outside of us that we try to conform our life to, now it is something that is within us, that it, is, it it's creates obedience from the inside out, that he places his law in our hearts, on our minds, and then it conforms us from the inside out. If you're trying to look at the Bible and say, okay, I need to conform, I need to, through my efforts, become more like this. And because I do that, then I'll be able to experience this closeness you're still falling into that old trap. God writes his law on our hearts. Ezekiel 36, 22. And I'm going to explain all this in just a second. So Ezekiel chapter 36. What, is, what does God say? He says, verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. Okay, sweet. Why do we see that? Forgiveness of sins, right? And from your, all your idols, I will cleanse you. So God promises that he will cleanse and he will forgive his people. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And verse 27, here it is, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. So what does, what does God say is the reason that we are able to obey? The new spirit, the Holy Spirit, not your efforts, not your willpower, not the blockers you put on your phone, not the new friends you hang out with, not removing these things and that thing from your life. It's the spirit of God that he's caused to live within you. Now, again, I'm not saying there's anything bad with, the, with, with taking practical steps. But what I'm trying to say is you take those practical steps, but you neglect the Holy Spirit. Nothing is going to change. I promise you. I promise you. Here we have two Old Testament pr- references that promise the new covenant, right? One of the key parts of this new covenant is where God promised to remove our heart of stone, give us a heart of flesh, and he will cause us to have his spirit to be within us. And that is the reason that we are obedient. It's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that causes us to walk in obedience. That obedience is not what makes us close to God. It is the Holy Spirit that lives within us that makes us close to God. And through this closeness, we now are able to be obedient. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. It says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. I want you to hear that. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I want you to understand something, guys. The Bible makes it very clear. Your own efforts, it is impossible for you to submit to God. You can't do it. Even your best efforts, you cannot be obedient. I cannot be obedient. We need something else. You see, if we're seeking to be able to obey God through our efforts and through the power of the flesh, it's impossible. The old way of the written code doesn't work. And if you want help in overcoming your sin, it isn't going to come from three helpful hints. You need something more. See, if obedience is the fruit, then we need to know something. What is the root? Okay. What well, we said is the Holy Spirit living within us, but here's what I want you to understand. Obedience Cannot your, your performance is not your source of joy. I want you to understand something, that your joy is your source of your obedience. Does this make sense? If you want to be obedient, if you want to learn how to overcome sin, here's how you do it. It is by understanding just how good God is, finding your joy in him, your satisfaction in him, and who he is, what he has done. Finding your joy in the fact that he loves you, that he forgives you of your sins, that he sent his son to die for you. That he is all that he says he is, and that should make you joyful. Not because of your performance, but because actually in spite of your performance, you have acceptance from a God that created the universe. And that should create joy within you, and that joy then motivates you to obedience. It is because I am close to God. It's because he's declared me righteous apart from any works of my own. It is because he has done these things that I now can run to him and experience a closeness that I never thought I could. And it is because I am close to him that I obey him. Does this make sense? I want you to know something. I can't promise a lot about the future of my life. I can't promise if I'll wake up tomorrow. I can't promise anything. But I can promise you this. I'm going to speak boldly, but I can say this. One thing I will never, ever do is I will never cheat on my wife. Ever. There's a few reasons. One, if I did, I know the long list of people who would kill me, right? She would kill me. Her brother would absolutely kill me. Her siblings, her, her mom, you know, her, her family that's never even met me. My family would kill me. My friends would kill me. You all would probably kill me, right? But you want to know something? When I think of why I would never cheat on Kayla, I actually don't even get to that point. Want to know why I'll never cheat on Kayla? It's not necessarily because of that. It's because I love my wife. That's why. It's because I love my wife. And it's not because of fear of punishment. It's because of love. It's because I love her. And if I love her, why would I ever want to do that to her? And what we see in the Bible all the time is when the people of Israel would, would sin against God, God would literally say that they were cheating on him. He would use very strong language that I'm not going to use tonight in saying that they would cheat on him with these other gods, that he, they were cheating on him, they were being unfaithful to him. And the problem was not strictly because they didn't fear punishment, it was because they didn't love God enough. If you want help in overcoming your sin, let me tell you something. Here's here's how it is. Here's how you overcome sin. Everyone pay attention. The more you love God, the less you will love sin. Now, I know that that sounds overly simple, but I want you to really understand that. I want you to really understand something. This This is super important. The more you love God, the less you will love sin. And the opposite is true. The less you love God, the more you will love sin. It's simple. Romans 7, keep it good. We'll fast forward to Romans 7 a little bit more. Starting at verse 16. It says, now I... Actually, we'll start in verse 15. It says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Does anybody relate to that? there are sins in my life that I struggle with. I hate these sins, but I still do them. And the good that I want to do, I don't do it. Why? Because there's a tension within us of our sinful flesh and the Holy Spirit that God's caused to live within me. And these two things are constantly in conflict. This is nowhere better explained than in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, 17 says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these two are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So here's the thing. You have a constant battle within you. Your sinful flesh that desires rebellion against God. And the Holy Spirit within you that desires nothing but him. Here's what I want you to understand. Every Christian has that tension. Everyone. If you ever come across somebody who professes to be a Christian and they say that they have no desire for sin, they're lying or they're deceived. Everyone sins because they want to. So there's this constant battle, this constant tension within us. And here's one thing. What I've learned is this. What you feed will grow. If you constantly feed the sinful desires of the flesh, do not be surprised if that is what wins your attention every single time. If you never feed the spirit, never spend time in the word, never, do, uh, never spend time in prayer, don't be surprised When it's extremely difficult to overcome sin. Does this make sense? You see, it is the Holy Spirit, it is finding joy in who God is that motivates us to obey. It is the love for God. The more you love God, the less you will love sin. Joy and love for God leads to obedience. See, you will never walk in obedience to God until you first find your joy in Him. Then, your love and joy in Christ fuels your obedience. See, for many Christians, their joy comes from their performance. For many Christians, their joy comes from the fact that, hey, I did this today. I went to church. I uh, memorized my verses. I did this. I did that. And that's where their joy comes from. But if that's the case, man, it's... Trust me, I know. I have good days, I have bad days. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be like that. We shouldn't be like that. One more analogy with Kayla. Because here's the thing. Some of you, all right, hey, we've established. The more you love God, the less you'll love sin. So here's the question. The question is not necessarily, how do I overcome sin? The question is, how do I, how do I grow to love God more? That's the question. How do I grow to love God more? What does Jesus say? If you love me, you will what? You will obey my commands. Even Jesus says that obedience comes from a love for God. But what does 1 John say? We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Ah. See, that a love for God comes from a love from God. So the more I understand how God has loved me, the more I will be able to understand and be able to love God. So how do I grow to understand God's love for me? You open your Bible. See, I say all the time to read your Bible, but I want you guys to understand. I'm not saying to read your Bible so that you can check off your Bible reading. I'm saying it because I want you to be able to experience the freedom in Christ that he provides us. I want you to get to know this God. I want you to fall in love with who he is. And when you fall in love with who he is, I guarantee you it will change your life. I guarantee it. See, I I met Kayla. We had a mutual friend. His name was Hunter Higgins. His dad is actually the pastor at Westview, and they had a, another youth group that was coming down for a week, and, and they needed a band to lead worship. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Kayla sings, and, uh, and I play drums. So uh, he, call, he called me, called her, and we met actually at band practice. And um, another thing that you should know about me is that I am a massive fan of SpongeBob SquarePants, okay? Uh, but... I like old Spongebob. I don't like new Spongebob. I think new Spongebob is garbage and trash, okay? But the old Spongebob I think is hilarious, and I'll just constantly make reference to it in my daily life. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, I don't know, it's just a weird thing. So, but me and Kayla, we were, t- we were at band practice, and I made a Spongebob reference that is not a super well-known reference, but it's kind of an obscure one. It's one that, like, you only get it if you really know the show, I don't remember what it was. It was like it was like eight years ago or something like that. I don't remember it. (laughs) I don't remember it. Uh, um, I don't remember it. Uh, But I said something and she laughed, and I was like, "Mm, "Okay." And through that, we you know we got to uh, we hung out in a group, you know, which is always a good thing to do—hanging out in groups. We hung out in a group, and through hanging out in a group, I really grew to like her a lot. But then we started to hang out, and we started to do Bible studies, just me and her. Every Monday, we would meet at Panera, and we would have Bible study, just her and I. And I want you to know something. I grew to like Kayla in a group, but I fell in love with Kayla when I spent one-on-one time with her. And I want you to know something. A lot of you spend time with God in a group setting, but you never spend one-on-one time with him. And a lot of you probably really like Jesus, but you'll never love him because you never spend the time to get to love him. The only interactions you have with God, the only interactions you have with his word is in this room. I want you to know, don't be surprised when you continue to struggle in sin with this is the only place that you spend time with him. You got to get alone you got to spend time reading it. Here's the thing. If you're like, I struggle to be able to read it on my own. I need someone to help me. Voila. That's where we come in. That's where you have someone like myself or Marina or Miss Rebecca or Abigail or Jesse or Miss Carol or Josiah or Caleb or Josh or Jacob or Jacob or Luke or Dakota or Shannon or Colin or Brock if he's not here right now. But if he was here, right, that's where we come in. To be able to help you, to be able, and Josh, sorry, the other Josh, right? And to be able to help you and to be able to come alongside you and answer your questions and whatever we can. See, our goal is not to try and, you know, spiritually babysit you. Our goal is to be able to help you to fall in love with the creator of your life. Look, I don't want you to struggle in your sin. I don't want you to constantly fall into that sin that you've been battling and me telling you to read your Bible is not because I'm just kind of being like, hey, go read your Bible. And I'm like, no, the only way to experience freedom is to get to know the one that sets you free. Does this make sense? Don't try to earn closeness with God. No, realize that you are already close with God. He has already made you close. And through that, man, fall in love with him and allow that to fuel you to obedience. I'm going to pray. We're going to go into groups. you got about 15 minutes. That clock's fast. Don't worry. you got about 15 minutes. And don't just go into groups and just kind of, uh, uh, no, like, actually, man, really dive into this. All right? I'm going to pray. I'm going to let you go. Guys are going to go across the hall. Take your chairs with you. Girls are going to circle up in here. All right? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that, God, you have made a way for us to be able to experience you in your fullness, to experience a joy that never ceases, peace that passes all understanding, and a contentment that this world cannot shake. And, Father, I ask that you help us to understand just how you have loved us. And, God, through that, it would fuel us to love you even more. And through our love for you, it will fuel us on to obedience, ultimately, so that we can live a life that brings you honor and glory. God, I thank you for these students. I thank you for these leaders. Father, if there's anyone in this room that does not know you, Father, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Be with us as we go to our groups. Let everything we say and do bring you honor and glory. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.